You're listening to the Film Marketing Academy podcast, the audio series dedicated to helping filmmakers create better film marketing campaigns faster. Join your host, Pascal Fintoni, for what promises to be an exciting and intriguing voyage of discovery filled with advice, stories, and film marketing ideas. Thank you for tuning in. And now, on with today's episode of the Film Marketing Academy podcast. So you know, Roger, the many movies we've chosen film marketing, they have a special place, and almost like music. They take you to a time in your life that is important to an event that you can relate to. This film is officially the very first movie I saw at UK cinemas when I arrived in the UK 30 years ago. Wow. What is it? <laughs> what is it? What is that first film? Silence of the Lambs. Ah, 1991. I arrived in April 1991, the 13th of April 1991, to be precise. And a few months later, plucked up the courage to go to the movies with my broken English and sat there and listened intently to what was going on to be able to keep up, which probably made it even more scary for me and introduced myself, you, and the world to probably one of the scariest um, villain of all times, Dr. Anibal Lecter. Yeah, now, again, I mean, it was huge at the time, wasn't it? And and here we are again, a film that's 30 years old. <laughs> uh, but yes, absolutely remembered uh, how utterly scary Anthony Hopkins was and how incredible his performance was. And he, and he won an Oscar for it, didn't he? Um, which, is, which is good. And the thing is, as I remember at the time, a few years prior to Silence of the Lambs was actually another film called Manhunter. Uh, brilliant, yeah. Um, which was based upon a um, one of Thomas Harris's earlier Han- Hannibal Lecter books. And it did have Hannibal Lecter in it, but it, he was played in that film by Brian Cox. So I was aware of Hannibal Lecter already, but the difference in the performance that Anthony Hopkins put in as Hannibal Lecter was just, it just, he almost leaped out of the screen, didn't he? Grabbed your brow the scruff of the neck and started to strangle you as he was acting. <laughs> it was that powerful. Um, so we, as is always the case when we do these film marketing se- section, sessions, Pascal, is we watched Silence of the Lambs again last night and we both came to the conclusion my wife and I that it's actually quite a lot longer than we thought since we've last watched it maybe it could be over 10 years so first of all we were absolutely amazed by how young Jodie Foster looked and even Anthony Hopkins for that matter I guess Mm. Uh, but again once again utterly compelling performances from both of them and especially Anthony Hopkins scary as hell so you're absolutely right. I remember I read uh, Red Dragon, which is the, mm-hmm. the first installment. I've not read the books and the Lambs. I did read afterwards Hannibal, which I think is the trilogy. Mm-hmm. Um, but what a film. And, and 91, just quickly on this, Roger, what a year for film goers. I must have spent my entire year at the movies because, well, we mentioned a moment ago, obviously there was Robin Hood, but there was Terminator 2 which is actually was the number one high-grossing movie uh, after that. The Point Break, one of my all-time mm-hmm. favorites. Cape Fear, Thelma and Louise, you know, yes. Backdraft, The Rocketeer, 
my guilty pleasure. Oh my goodness. Double Impact with Van Damme was around, Boys in the Hood, yeah. and the list was yeah. on and on and on. Yeah. But I think that this is the movie that pretty much claimed the audience attention and critics alike for 1991. Absolutely right. It was, it was so memorable. And again, do you know, th this might be a little bit controversial, but... We watched it again last night, and the scenes between Jodie Foster and um, Anthony Hopkins, Clarice Starlin, she's the uh, um, FBI agent, and, and Hannibal Lecter, the, the psychopath, they're just so epically well-acted and so scary and so compelling that actually I found the rest of the film when he isn't in it, interacting with Clarice, I found that part of the film was actually, do you know, this could just be any old police procedure. But it was those scenes that stood out. And actually, I guess that maybe we've seen those scenes between Clarice and Lecter so many times in clips and on shows mm. and, and, and on YouTube that actually was a lot of the rest of the film which I'd forgotten about and I couldn't even remember, uh, especially a lot of the scenes with them actually doing the investigative work. And I think it just really brought home to me how incredible the, those double scenes were with those two actors. But when you actually add up the amount of time that those two spend on screen together out of a two-hour movie, I mean, I, I haven't done the maths, but probably no more than 20 minutes, if that. Uh, but in, what an incredible... 20 minutes that is and it almost eclipses the whole of the rest of the film for me i would agree and what is interesting is according to movie experts if there is such an occupation this is actually referred to as a horror movie mm -hmm. which is interesting because to me it was a thriller but then when you start to watch it again as we did two last night roger yes. this is lovely homework to do you realize this is truly horrible. I mean, this is obviously Hannibal Lecter and Buffalo Bill mm. played superbly by Ted Levine as well. I mean, mm -hmm. those actors, including Scott Glenn, they put their heart and soul into the performance. Mm. But also, let's compliment the music, Howard Shaw, which is just stunning, and the direction of Jonathan Dimmer, who has had an interesting kind of career starting at the Roger Corman in a kind of academy of filmmaking, but also did a lot of um, kind of movie around music, mm. concerts and documentaries and so on. And this was his breakthrough movie. A couple of years later, uh, he did Philadelphia as well. But the way which he brought the camera right into the face of Hannibal Lecter, at, uh, and there was no... Uh, you couldn't get away, you know, you ha he had to act and be sincere, or they be able to tell by the way which they use a light. This is something that I miss, I must confess, from the 90s and 2000s. I don't think movies nowadays use light as much or lack of light, which mm. is um, often the case. And a moment ago, you mentioned it, but this won five Oscars, Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, Best Actress, and Best Adaptation of a Screenplay. Uh absolutely incredible and i was saying to denise you know what one day i'd love to watch this in black and white to see mm. how that works in terms of the tension but um really really a lovely film and it'd be lovely to interesting to watch it with a younger audience as well to see how they deal with it but for me uh, i made some note to myself you know the opening sequence as well very cleverly done where you see the character of clarice and the first words that are uttered in a film uh, uh, is this, her surname, Starling. Mm -hmm. And then there's this instruction to go 
in to see her superior. There's no other words, and then there's um, her entering the room. We see the photography. On the, so within minutes, we kind of visually are told everything we need to know about the, this movie. So I've got some questions for you. Mm-hmm. Why do you think the character of Jack Crawford, played by Scott Glenn, sent Clarice, a trainee, to see Dr. Hannibal Lecter? Was it because he couldn't be bothered? Is it because he wanted to throw him off course almost? What, what do you think was the intention there? Very good question. I mean, <laughs> and, the, and there are so many answers. I mean, he could have just thought that Hannibal Lecter might have reacted better to a pretty girl or maybe he was scared to go himself you know that did that did occur to me that the you know the guy who's effectively running that department of the FBI had met his match if that was possible mm, and, and, and just and just didn't want to to face off to it maybe he just felt that it was the ultimate training for Clarice to be put in that position so I guess there are all sorts of different answers um and and i guess we'll never know what the actual yeah. answer was i wouldn't thank you if i was a trainee uh, thanks <laughs> boss you know i think i'll continue yeah. to go to the classroom i don't yeah. meet, the, meet this cycle uh, but that's true and and in, what is interesting the whole film is about clarice in fairness mm. and i think it's been that's what's very very clever about this story there's been spin-offs, you could call them, Roger, yeah, the TV series and, and other films where it's all about Hannibal. And what I will say is that it's nowhere near as interesting because I think it is between, you know, Hannibal Lecter and Clarice. That's what, you know, is interesting to me. Yeah, and again, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, I think we managed to watch two episodes of the series of Hannibal and didn't like it at all mm. i believe there is a series about clarice as well oh, i think right. i think it, it is actually just called clarice and it's currently running so it's quite new uh, i think it's it's only been running for about 10 episodes i couldn't tell you where, where it is whether it's on netflix or amazon or wherever it is but i do know that it's got some good reviews so that might be worth checking out but i think that you're absolutely right Lecter works best when he's in the background. And that's what I say. He's not really on the screen for more than about 20 minutes. The rest Mm. of it is about Clarice. And I think I remember the first film, whether you watched Manhunter, which was the original version, or or Red Dragon, which was the version that Anthony Hopkins did later. Again, it was more about the relationship between Mm. Will Graham and Lecter uh, as opposed to it all being about Hannibal. And again, he was in the background for most of that film too. And I think that's the way it should be. Absolutely, the absolutely. Be. The um, So when it all started, I've seen this film so many times, I used to own the VHS cassette, but I actually didn't, interestingly, didn't bother with the uh, upgrade to DVD and Blu-ray, <laughs> um, probably because I've got everything in my head. Yeah. So I was a bit concerned that I might just be nonplussed by the film, but actually... It worked. the The descent into the cells to meet Doctor Hannibal Lecter the first time mm. still still worked for me. And the reveal when he's standing there, looking so incredibly scary, when he's strapped up. Do you remember that scene? Well, of course you did last night. When he's strapped up, he's got a mask on, and mm. he's talking to the senator um, about um, her daughter. Yeah. When he escapes, I mean that escape, uh, so scary. But then the character Buffalo Bill. And what I call the is uh, metamorphosis to use the mm-hmm. uh, analogy with the the butterfly, the moth. And can I just say this must have been the worst seller I've ever seen in, in a property <laughs> before. So when Clarice goes down, I mean it's like a maze, isn't it? Uh, 
It's like a labyrinth, all the doors. And, <laughs> oh, God. And, uh, you know, it echoes an earlier scene where she's practicing, uh, you know, That's going right, yeah. into a building and she gets she gets picked up by one of the instructors for not doing the right pattern or something. And he says, that's why you just got shot. And then when she's actually in the cellar, she's having to do it properly because her life is absolutely at yeah. risk. But yeah, where you think, where is he going to jump out from? He's going to mm. jump out any moment. The, la- the whole last act is so, so tense. So mm-hmm. this movie is giving us some some visuals that have been imprinted into our minds. I will never look at the uh, death head moth uh, the same way again. <laughs> but also is giving us some uh, pretty scary strap lines that people have been repeating now for three decades. Yes. Yeah, I mean, the, the father beans. I, mean, I ate his liver with some father beans and an ice Chianti. You know, that's terribly scary and, and even his last throwaway line oh, you know, I'm wow. having an old friend for dinner <laughs> oh wow That's I remember a, a, ch- <laughs> chuckling at the movies but it was that nervous chuckle thinking because you kind of know that he's going to you know, obviously go ahead with um, his, his promise I had a friend that uh, whose party trick was he could imitate Buffalo Bill and say it puts the lotion on its skin or else <laughs> it gets to hose again and um, I mean not something that no one should be proud of but he was very good at it and uh, he used to amuse there's no end at the pub at the time. Yeah. So it's a 30-year-old film. So what do, we, what do we know about the marketing, apart from the fact the poster was pretty iconic? Yeah, I want to talk about the poster in a moment because I think it's at the heart of its marketing campaign. But to begin with, let's talk about the, the release. In the US, this was released on Valentine's Day 1991. <laughs> uh, why wouldn't you? Um, this is a lovely <laughs> in a date movie. But the reason for that, and I think there's two or three good decisions that the uh, producers and Orion at the time took, and one is around timing. And the first one about timing, this in the, in the US was officially a four-day weekend. So from a pure commercial point of view, Roger, they had two extra days of earnings which meant that, of course, they got the PR machine kicking in, saying, wow, this is the highest grossing movie ever, and it's bloody scary. And then the printing media, TV and radio took over. Yes, yes. I, 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 again, it, it's, it's, it reminds me that in those days, films opened in the States quite a lot earlier than they mm. did around the rest of the world. And that allowed some of the clips to be shown on news channels, to be shown on programs like Screen Test or whatever it might be, to build up the anticipation for when it was going to be released in the UK. That never really happens anymore. Mainly, films Mm. get released within days of each other because we know that give it more than a couple of hours and everything will be all over the internet anyway. So, I mean, interestingly, we are almost um, to the day um, thirty celebrating thirty years of Silence yeah. of the Lambs because this was June nineteen ninety one. The premiere mm-hmm. at the Audion Lights Square, which is usually where it happens, and by yeah. that time people knew just a bit more about the movie. And then using what you mentioned a moment ago, the poster mm-hmm. was really quite enigmatic. But this is interesting for us to look back at the poster thirty years later because. When you go to, you know, kind of uh, wait outside, waiting for your turn to enter the screening room and you see this poster, it really is a strange one because unless you've seen the film or perhaps read the book, 
the elements on the, in the poster really give you quite intrigued, wouldn't you say? Because you don't know about the moth, you don't know necessarily about the victim being kind of uh, having their skin removed. So mm -hmm. this poster is almost a payoff after the film, not before. Yeah, I never thought of it like that again. It was a very en enigmatic post. I mean, the moth itself is so striking. Mm. Um, and the fact that it's uh, they've, they've done a little bit of visual trickery with the moth because I have seen a death's, a death's head moth before and, and the skull isn't quite as intricately drawn as that on the actual, on the actual moth itself. But again, the, 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 the silhouette of the, of the woman, who I assume is Clarice, has actually got red eyes, which I, have, I always thought was quite scary. Well, for years I thought that it was one of the victims. So, mm. and that's opened the debate: is it Clarence? Is it one of the victims? Mm. Um, if people want to, you go online and find the poster, the original one, because unfortunately, then they messed with it for the recent iterations of the Blu-ray. Um, mm. they, they've added Anibal Lecter and so on. But if you zoom right into the moth, you will see that the skull is shaped by the naked body of women, inspired ah. by a um, artwork from uh, Dali. You will see, if you zoom in, seven women. Right. And again, where the poster pays off is, if you've seen the film, you know that there's been five victims. Mm -hmm. Then there is Catherine, the senator's daughter in the well, mm -hmm. and then you've got Clarice, which make seven. Gosh, I never knew that. That's, mm. that's incredible. I mean, even looking at the movie poster on my screen at the moment and I can't get close enough to it to see that but it does look like a skull to me but now I, I look even closer I can see the detail that <laughs> that you're talking about there. It's because uh, ultimately um, Buffalo Bill could have killed her and Catherine yeah. would have made seven so I, I like this and this idea of a poster being more than just the teaser. It's actually mm -hmm. a reward for seeing the film where you are in, you've got a bit of complicity with mm -hmm. the filmmakers. And that's the first time that I've seen something done in that way. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think that that's been at the heart of, of the campaign. But also this juxtaposition because you've got the poster then you've got a great trailer. Even 30 years later, uh, if you watch it, it does stack up. But mm. then there's no uh, reference to the moths in the trailer. There's even yeah. no reference. And, and it's really quite interesting what they're trying to do here, whether they're trying to uh, appeal to different audiences or literally give us something almost like a red herring, which has been at the heart of the way Anibal Lecter kind of plays like a cat would play with a mouse with Clarice. Yeah, I think... I think the, there is an element of the producers playing with us in the same way as, <laughs> as Lecter plays with his victims and gets into the heads of the people he interacts with. Back to playing, and I think what wouldn't you be playful, and maybe that's one of the marketing lessons, hey, do something extra with your visuals. Yes. But also, uh, absolutely, again, with the mindset of you're not being video producers and live streamers, but also learning the language of cinema. When you watch the trailer 30 years later, and the first words you hear are, do you spook easily, Starling? And Clarice replies, not yet, sir. Not yet. <laughs> you actually now understand they were asking the audience, do you spook easily? Yes. yes. Not yet. I said, well, what, spent two hours in the company watch. of Anibal Lecter, and you might. Yeah, no, it's very, very <laughs> clever. And, and sometimes trailers these days aren't as subtle as that they just give you effectively a precy of what's happening in the entire film but that was genuinely those words were selected 
to so, talk directly at the audience. Yeah, and to your point, this was made 30 years ago, so the marketing campaign won't be multifaceted and as complex as a movie done today. But they did two things really well. They got the timing right in terms of the release. Yeah, They got a poster that was a talking point and they got the trailer that really, really set the tone of the intrigue superbly well. Like you can watch it again. And then, of course, they piggybacked and, and fueled the PR machine. But um, being a company movie nerd, of course, I did a bit more research about the, the timing. And what was interesting is that this movie originally was scheduled for late 1990 because they were hoping to kind of sync it with festivals and the likes. Mm -hmm. But actually, they realized that if they did so, this movie would be overshadowed by Dances with Wolves, All right. which is also a co-production with Orion, which, by the way, won the Oscar as well. So they waited a bit longer because they thought, hmm, we've got the chance there to win not just this year, but next year's Oscar with this movie. So let's delay the release by four or five months, which must have felt very brave at the time, maybe a bit frustrating for the actors as well. But timing, Roger, once again. Absolutely. It's always about timing. <laughs> so... If you have not seen Thousands of the Lambs for a while, I think you can take it from Roger and I, go back and watch it, and then immerse yourself a little into the marketing. Look at the poster again, look at the trailer, and ask yourself the question, which is really at the heart of this segment, are there any lessons that I can take into my business, into my creative endeavors, and more? Roger Edwards, this has been episode 45. Thank you so much for being such a wonderful co-host and for your many insights and conversations. For you out there, please leave comments and suggestions in the usual places. And to the next one, go out there and make sure your marketing is done right. I was Pascal Pintoni and he was Roger Edwards. Thank you for listening to the Film Marketing Academy podcast, the audio series dedicated to helping filmmakers create better film marketing campaigns faster. For more information about our film marketing consultancy and training services, go to filmmarketingacademy.com and book your free discovery video call. And if you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe and follow your host on social media for more updates. 